All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on this week's Sixers Beat, a part of the CLNS Media Network. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. The uh, the preseason's winding down. We're uh, what are we? We're recording this on Wednesday night. Next week, as we're watch, as we're talking, there will be a real game, a real NBA game that both teams give a shit about, which will be a a refreshing change. Yeah, and again, I mean the after the first game. The, the takes fly, you know, you're either winning a championship or yeah. all is lost. And especially since it's going to come against Boston, which this team has not fared too well against, although it is obviously a very different Boston team, but we have time for that. Before then, we have a 106-86 dismantling of the, I use that term very jokingly, of the Detroit Pistons. Half of that dif- uh, difference came in the fourth quarter when the Sixers were running out an all bench lineup, um, along with, uh, what was it? With Howell leading the deep bench. And Moses Malone in the middle. Yep. 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 We'll get to him in a second. So takeaways from the game, from the actual portions of the game that people will care about. Hmm. We have Josh Richardson running the offense. I almost called him Jason for the first time. I knew that was going to happen at some point. I caught myself before I said it, which means I shouldn't have outed myself. After the fact, but Josh Richardson running the point guard, you had another standout performance from Matisse Thybul, as standout as you can get at least in a seven point performance, a seven point scoring performance. And you had a real good performance late in the game by Norvell Pell, aka Moses Malone, who finished with, with uh, 13 points, four rebounds and five block shots in the, played the entire fourth quarter. And really stood, to use a hockey term, stood on his head in the final two minutes or so when it was just one highlight play after another and he really got the bench going. Of those three, and by the way, Joel Embiid dropped 24 points and eight rebounds, picked eight wedgies as he went to the free throw line. Yes. While looking like he generally wasn't all that engaged in the game, which tells you, A, how good Joel Embiid is, B, how much of an advantage he has over Von Maker and... It's preseason basketball. Yeah. Of those, which which did you think was the most important and which did you think was the most impressive? I think the two moments in the preseason when we've seen Embiid the most engaged were when Ben Simmons shot three and then the ensuing celebration afterwards. And then last night, the celebration with everybody when Norvell Pell was swatting Christian Wood and just – uh. Exciting. By the way, the uh, the preseason bench is hilarious. There's so many guys. Yeah. They, basically, when they all stood up, half of them were on the floor, you know, after it was over. Uh, as much as I enjoyed Norvell, he, uh, I've seen him in summer league have some highlight real plays before. It, that doesn't really matter to me. He, uh, I think he's a perfectly acceptable use of a two-way contract and – who knows? Maybe he gets some time with the Sixers if he continues to play uh, play well down there. But to me, I think Thibault is still the biggest story. The, the guy, what do you call them? Stocks, the uh, the clever uh, combination of steals and blocks. What what are his numbers on the preseason? Really, really good. Okay. If you give me a second, I'll I'll, I'll get a little more specific than that. 
I thought I, you know what? I, I thought I had this in my piece today. I, I think it was three steals and one and a half blocks per, per game. game. Yeah. This it's just crazy. And I mean, I almost don't want to talk about him anymore because we're just going to say the same thing we said for the past couple of weeks. The guy is a lot of fun to watch. He, he had a couple plays last night where as you can attest to for our listeners, because you sit right next to me at the games, I was just giggling. There was one play where he, uh, well, I, I guess there was three. There were the the, the two that re- actually there's two that really stick out to me. On one of them, he snuck behind Thon Maker and just inhaled his shot. I mean, he could have blocked it with his armpit if he wanted to. And then there was another one where Jay Rich was pressuring somebody in the backcourt after a made basket and Christian Wood was inbounding the ball and it was the basket that we sit behind at these games. So we could kind of get Christian Wood's vantage point and Thibel suckered him into throwing a pass to pretty close to half court to Luke Kennard that as soon as he threw it, I just was thinking to myself, there is no way Kennard is getting that ball. And yeah, I mean, he's you're seeing takes like, I think Bill Simmons said, is he the most impactful off-ball defender in the NBA? I, I mean, he's been that good in the preseason. I, I think the answer to that's obviously no. You know, especially like let's let's pump the brakes a little bit and, and see the guy play a game where he's playing against the team's actual rotation when they actually care. But he's just been unbelievable, and at this point, he's clearly in the rotation and clearly is going to play. I don't know. 20, 25 minutes per game. Yeah, that, uh, you know, that debate we had a couple of weeks ago on who will win that, that second quiet tournament, it's looking a little pointless right now. Uh, that, that winner has been chosen. Winner was chosen pretty quickly. You know, he, like you said, three steals, 1.5 blocks, 0.8 turnovers per game, which is pretty crazy. I don't know if I've ever seen a wing. You know, whenever you have someone who can have more steals than turnovers, that's rare as it is. I remember that always being sort of like the Maurice Cheeks line. He used to get away with that sometimes. But when you can have a wing it with more blocks than steel or than turnovers, I don't know if I've ever seen that. Um, having both of those numbers be up there like that. It is preseason. You know, I, th- I think what you said about when teams start carrying and, and start putting an actual game plan, it will be interesting to see, especially once, you know, Matisse sort of starts getting onto the scouting report and they know that he's going to be hunting those, you know, those passes. He's going to be hunting those off ball plays. What kind of misdirections can they put in there? Can they take advantage of sort of that, you know, that, that free, that freedom that Brett Brown has given him and that he's always had. Um, can they, can, you, can they use his, their, his aggressiveness against him? But what you're seeing so far, I mean, his anticipation is just so off the charts and forget about the, the, you know, the physical tools, the size, the quickness, the length, they're all good. He's not like off the charts good. Like he's not as big and long as Covington. He's not an elite athlete for his size. He has A plus instincts, uh, instincts that I just, for a a rookie coming in, I don't remember seeing those. Like there have been better defenders than him because they have, you know, that size, that strength, that length, that quickness that he just doesn't, he's, he's not an A plus in those regards. Like he's not going to be a Kawhi Leonard defender because he just doesn't have the unique physical tools that Kawhi has. 
But in terms of instincts, he really is up there to the point where I don't know where you'd have to go back to to find a wing who has that kind of those kind of instincts. It's it's really impressive to watch. Um, he's he's bought into his role. He has a, a pretty pretty easy role. You know, he's got the two dribble if there's nothing there, pass it kind of role offensively, which is good. You know, I think he can he can sort of acclimate himself pretty easily because he's not going to be asked to do too much. But defensively, it's been it's been incredibly impressive. I get a kick out of Brett at pretty much every one of his availabilities saying, I want him to be reckless. I, I basically want him to do stupid shit because it works. And yeah, it's not even that he sees the game, the game is going slower for him. He's seeing it three steps ahead of everybody and, and is able to do, you know, just make these unorthodox gambles, which is just, it's a lot of fun to watch. And I don't know what he's shooting from three. Again, I've been, very good with my stats in the first 10 minutes here. 31%. But but to me, it looks like it's it's passable, and, and he's not afraid to shoot them. And I, I think he's going to be, you know, I, it looks to me like he's going to be pretty damn helpful to, to start the season. Yeah, and, I mean, it, 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 he, he's right now, I think, pretty firmly in the second wing off the bench. Do you think he's well, ahead of Ennis or no? I, th- I mean, I think if he's not, I think he could be pretty quickly. It doesn't His really defense, matter yet because it doesn't really matter. They come in at the same time anyway. Yeah, a lot a lot of the time. You know, you've got you've got Ennis, you've got Mike Scott, who I still sort of think of as a six man, even if maybe sometimes he won't be coming in. Uh, I think he's gonna end up getting the most minutes off the bench. But you've got those three as sort of like your top bench pieces right now, and I think it's pretty firm. And then you're gonna have the point guard, and then you're gonna have one spot really open for that tenth spot. You know, I think we thought Coming in that you would have some nights where you, Matisse would play and some nights where Zaire would play and some nights where Furkan would play and Brett would sort of give him a shot. I sort of still think that's what's going to happen with the point guard battle. But I think, you know, I think if you're looking at the bench as a 10-man rotation, I think four of those spots um, or three of those spots now with Matisse joining Ennis and Scott are pretty well locked in, which I just I didn't expect to say. You know, I think this is what we expected to be the case by the end of the season and maybe in the second half of the season. I didn't expect that from day one because that's just a, a tough thing for a rookie to do it does have to be said that you know his competition is Furkan Korkmaz who I'm still waiting for him to make his first NBA three-pointer it'll be a momentous day when he does oh, that don't for do a, that come on for a shooter it's been a it's been a tough go for Furkan so far and I, I've always said I believe in his shot it would be great to actually see that ball go through the hoop though it, w- it would be nice to not know as soon as he lets it go oh that's not going in yeah he 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 has some shots where you just go that's short but his, his competition is, and I, again, I, I do, I do actually, I, I say that, and, and I'm more picking on results. I do think he's eventually going to make shots. But going back to Matisse, it's not like he's beating out the toughest competition here. I mean, Zaire has played six games, and Brett's been pretty candid lately about it would be unrealistic to expect him to be ready, which is, uh, yeah. you know, about as strong as, as Brett gets in terms of whether someone's ready. So I think we can safely pencil him in and, uh, it's not just because his competition isn't great. It's because he's earned it too, which is good. What do you make of, of Zaire? Because I, I would even go as far to say, by the way, back to the rotation, that there's nine spots that have been secured. I think Kylo Quinn has a spot oh, in sure. the rotation. Yep. Yep. And, and maybe there's another spot available when MB doesn't play, like we saw in Charlotte the other night. That went to Shake Milton, who again was ahead of Zaire Smith. It's been a little disappointing to me that Zaire Smith has not even gotten a chance. 
Everybody else has gotten a chance. Like Neto has gotten backup point guard minutes. Trey Burke, who, you know, hasn't even played that well, has gotten minutes. Corkmaz and, and Milton have both gotten minutes. Do you think that is a result of maybe Brown thinking that he needs more shooting? Or do you think it's just that he doesn't think Smith is ready? Yes. Both? Okay. Yeah, I, I certainly don't think I, – I think you can make a case for either one of those two to be true um, and to be part of the reason for that. Like I think if Smith were ready, would they live with some inconsistent shooting? Would they live with a one-for-five night from three? I think they probably would. But I don't think Smith is ready, and you also need more shooting. So I think uh, – you know, I think that's what we're looking at. I do think Shake has been – and he played a little bit of, of point guard the other night too – you know, I think he has been better as an off-ball role. I've always sort of liked him better in that capacity. Do I think do I trust him right now for NBA minutes? No. Um, you know, like you said, I do think the ten the, the ten players uh, with the point guard battle still up in the air is is pretty well locked in. But I mean, this is a team where you're going to have Embiid taking a night off, where you're not going to run a run Horford too much, where you're going to give some players nights off. Um, you know, I think it would be great if they could get somebody. In the Korkmaz shake, you know, capacity to kind of step up. And you just really haven't seen that yet so far. Yeah. Great. I, I do think Smith still has some talent though. He, uh, you know, we were kind of checked out by the fourth quarter last night, although Norvell woke us up at, at one point. <laughs> but another play that kind of woke us up was Zaire Smith dribbled the full length of the court, went behind his back really quickly. And set his feet and fired a three and made a Sekou Demboya, who is the Pistons first round pick this year. I think it was, it was towards the middle. I think it, it might have actually been 15th overall. Made him look really bad and it was a, a smooth move. But, you know, if they don't think he's ready, I wonder if he might be best served getting some time in the G League because there he can get the ball. And unlike last year when he was, Coming back, he has his full athleticism and, and yeah. he'll have the chance to, uh, to play. But yeah, if they don't think he's ready, the, the answer to me seems like you just got to give him minutes somewhere. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think first of all, I certainly have not given up on Zayer Smith. Uh, it's easy still to forget. 20 years old, he's, man. It's very easy to forget that he's still only 20 years old. Two, two full years younger than Matisse Thibel, which again, we, we sometimes forget that because Matisse is the rookie. But Matisse has a lot more basketball experience, a lot more experience playing in the role that he's being asked to play in. And he's a lot less of a project. And, you know, I think we all understood that Zaire was a, a project when they took him. And we had almost no expectations for him last year. And then he sort of had that weird journey where he missed so much time and came back. And we all sort of got excited that he was coming back and just that he had made his way onto the basketball court. And then he got the summer league and you're, you're like, oh, my God, he actually looks like the same player physically. And you're excited about that. Well, and then this preseason, you're reminded, oh, yeah, but he's still a really raw basketball player who's got to transition to a perimeter game and is trying to do that on an NBA Finals contender. So I think this was a little bit of a wake-up call. You know, I think he is still extremely talented physically. I think he, I do think he has actually made some progress in that shot. But now it's sort of putting it all together and thinking a lot less on the court, and he still just seems like he's thinking a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, Will the game slow down for him? Probably, uh, but it's just it's just not there yet. I don't think the instincts have looked great, but to be fair to him, 
he's only played in these garbanzo beans minutes at the end of games with, you know, maybe one player who's going to be in the rotation. Yep. So, you know, that the, does the not much lead. The bigger question is how he's looked in practice. And nobody on this podcast uh, is, is really qualified to speak to that. You can, you can only sort of assume based off on his minutes and the spot in the rotation that he looks like he still needs some work. Do you think the Sixers are just going to draft older and older players now? I, I feel <laughs> I feel like they might start drafting Danny Watkins-type players because <laughs> the way Brett talks about it in that how, you know, a player like Matisse who is just, he's just older than Zaire and even though Zaire has been here for an extra year, although he obviously went through, you know, that terrible ordeal. But but after him and Fultz, you, you look at kids who, who just need to kind of grow up a little bit. And then on the other hand, they've had the last couple of years they've had, I mean, Thibel this year, but also Landry Shamit, who they've just been able to plug and play and turn into good rotation players right away. And I mean, credit to the to the Sixers, it looks like again for finding those uh, those contributors in the late rounds, which I think we talked about before the draft. Our our main take instead of scouting any of the players, was just, you got to hit on one of these guys because, you know, this team's about to get really expensive with how free agency is going to shake out regardless. So, you know, I, I wonder if they're just going to skew towards older players now because it looks like they're, they've hit on two in a row. Yeah, I mean, I think, I and this is a, you know, this is a, a good question for the time of the draft. I think it's very dependent on... Who's available? Who's that underclassman? Who's that upperclassman? You know, I think Matisse is pretty tailor-made to be a plug-and-play kind of guy earlier in his career, or at least that adjustment is going to be less than some other players. You know, I don't think we, us two specifically, I know a lot of people in the media did, I don't think we ever made too big of a deal over the whole zone thing. And I do I think they inflated his steal and block numbers? Of course they did. No, they but deflated them. The zone? Yeah. They Deflated. Have you watched preseason? Oh, <laughs> I, I mean, to be fair, they are actually lower than what he did at, at UW. I know, um, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding, but no, it, it he is completely three deadpan me. Um, yeah, you know, did they inflate him? Sure, but he's always he's always had that in him. Like I, when Markel Fultz was still there, he was still putting up incredible defensive numbers. You could see the the instincts and the athleticism and the the, the physical tools that he had. You know, I think I think him contributing early isn't a a stunner. I think it's surprising a little bit because any rookie any any rookie drafted out of the top couple picks in drafts, if they contribute, it's a little surprising. But I think he had the mold of a player who could do so. But yeah, it's it's incredibly for them to take you know, and we have been critical of their draft record in recent memory, but for them to get Landry Shamit and use him as a key piece in that Tobias trade. And again, you can sort of debate whether or not maybe they overpaid and they should have been able to keep Landry. But for him to even be in that conversation where he is a legitimate trade chip and then to walk away this year with what looks like a legitimate piece for the future in Matisse, hats off to them. Uh, they've they've done a much better job here of late. And uh, that's really important because, like you said, this team is about to get historically expensive and hopefully, knock on wood, um, not to pivot too much, but if the the salary cap drops at all, then that you know sort of repeater tax and that apron is going to get real tough to work around, and and they're going to need contributors 
cheap contributors like him. So it is a, uh, it's great that he is looking like a contributor this early in his career. And we spent all summer saying if, if they have one of these two, Matisse or Zaire Pop, like that is a defender, a level of a defender that they're going to need in playoff basketball. And because Matisse looked good against Detroit, does that mean he's ready for playoff basketball? No, not necessarily, but it's gone about as good as you could have hoped for if that is the end goal. I guess the next step for him, and maybe we'll be able to figure this out a little bit during the season, is how he holds up against some of the league's better one-on-one scores. Because Covington, I mean, the numbers said he was great. If, if you were paying attention, he was great defensively with his hands. But he did really struggle that one series when Jason Tatum just put him on skates pretty much for three games in a row and they put T.J. McConnell in for him. I, I guess that's kind of my question for Thibel because off-ball it seems like what he's doing is, I mean, it seems fairly repeatable. Yeah, and I mean, I, th- I think, you know, we've sort of mentioned this before too, but like this is also a slightly different team. Like I think Ben Simmons is a better one-on-one perimeter defender than he was during his rookie season and against that series against Boston. I think having Josh Richardson is a key addition in a playoff matchup that they just didn't have two years ago against Boston. So even if he's has some of the same deficiencies as Covington, and I think the the collegiate scouting report, the pre-draft scouting report, says that he does. He hasn't really been tested too much in that regard here in the preseason, but the, the pre-draft scouting report said that he does. But even if he does, I think this team has enough options where it might not be that big of a deal. Um, you know, I think Matisse said this after the first day or so of camp, where he said, this is a team that values what I bring. And I think they're the sort of the right team, the right contender to kind of make use of his skill sets. He gets questions after pretty much every game that are basically like, how about those steals? <laughs> yeah. He's like, that's, uh, that's what I, that's what, what I do. do. Yeah. And he, he, he does also it gets in questions better... every time. Yes. He's actually uh, a, a really good speaker for someone of his, his, his inexperience. But he also gets questions after pretty much every game. A, because he is the most interesting storyline around the team right now, which not sure you would have expected for a team that is predicted by many to go to the finals. But he is is the one that is both an unknown and is really playing frequently and, and hard. But he he's also a good quote. By the way, I'm not excusing us from uh, repeating on the on the Matisse storyline. I mean, we're, we're on pace for December 25th, 20th straight podcast, where... We start with, well, Matisse Thibault's defense has been great. <laughs> but it really has been. So, you know, it's it's not much different than, than what happened last week. But but he's been great. All right, let's take a real quick break from the podcast, talk about this week's sponsor, betonline.ag. The football season is in full swing, and you can get into the game with our exclusive sports betting partners, betonline.ag. Sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit and make your bets on your favorite professional or college team. Every spread, every total, every winner or loser, straight bet, parlay, or tease your way through the season. Will the six no pats remain undefeated? Will Carson Wentz throw for two or more touchdowns in an Eagles win this week? Bet on all of this with the fastest odds, updates, and payouts with our new sportsbook partners, betonline.ag. Head over to betonline.ag or use your mobile device to join today and use promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus. Once again, that's promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus. Get into all the action today with betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. And now back to the show. What do you, uh, 
I guess what do you make of how Jay Rich looked last night? Again, I, I made the joke earlier. Uh, we, we didn't really get to see the game in Orlando because I'm not watching a camera on the baseline. But he got the start last night in Ben's place, and the offense didn't look great. It looked stagnant at times. I wonder if that was a little bit due to his teammates and Embiid kind of, after the first three plays, kind of going half speed. But what did you make of how he looked as the point guard? Yeah, I mean, he looked. He looked fine. I liked your quote in your article. He gave himself a 6.5 out of 10, which uh, I like the precision of that. You know, he, yes. he didn't make all that many advanced reads. Like, there weren't any passes that sort of wow you. And quite frankly, when he did so with Miami, he didn't make that many passes. That would wow you. Um, he could come off of a screen and sort of attract a little bit of attention and kick out to the corner and that's sort of his role offensively as a point guard. Um, the Sixers also tend to ask a little less of their point guards, especially their, 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 you know, sort of quasi point guards. Um, get the ball up the court, flip it to a big on a DHO, kind of run in the corner and, and, and keep the ball moving around. And he can certainly do that. Um, you know, I thought, I think he's looked good overall. Like I think some of the moves he's made in transition and around the rim have been encouraging. You know, he struggled the other night with his three-point shot and his perimeter shot in general, but I think he's looked okay. Did I look at that and I say, well, that's your solution, especially in the regular season, for your backup point guard? Not really. Um, in part because it's just extend the rotation and get, you know, I think, I think Howell is going to be serviceable. So, so why run your, your heavy minute players out there too much? You know, but I, in the playoffs, like I think, I think having that sort of a, a, a big perimeter unit could cause some problems. So, you know, I think that's something they should do from time to time. Do you think he'll have the Brett Brown grading scale, but it'll just be numbers? It'll be, there's nothing in between 4.5 and 6.5. <laughs> yeah. Brett, Brett is either a B plus or a C minus. There is nothing, uh, there's nothing, nothing in between. There. Nothing in between or on either side of it. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, yeah, I, I, I thought Ben Simmons today at practice was a good person to talk about this with. And for once, Ben actually gave some, some pretty good answers on this subject. The Sixers point guard is not your traditional. They don't ask him to do what Chris Paul did in his prime, what Steve Nash did. They're not, you know, you even watch a game with the Pistons last night. The Pistons ran a ton of pick and roll at Embiid. Very unsuccessfully, by the way. But uh, they didn't have Blake Griffin or Andre Drummond. Andre Drummond had to be pretty happy, by the way. Why do you to, think? Uh, it, I mean, Embiid has promised that he is not going to talk shit. Yeah, but he's still going to kick his butt, though. He he would still kick his butt. Uh, that that is if Embiid really tried to. Like, I feel like Embiid with Drummond would have came out, and he was pretty aggressive to start the game until, you know, then he sort of backed off. But I think feel like with Drummond, the first five or six minutes, really that first stint Embiid has, he would have really been into like regular season mode just to sort of assert his dominance. Automatic 12 points in that. Yeah, <laughs> and then he would have backed off. Um, yeah, it was a good game probably for, for Drummond. Yeah, but it, it's not what the uh, the Sixers do. And, and Ben basically said, yeah, I can see why that's an adjustment because, you know, the, the way we play, we move the ball, we throw the ball into the post more than pretty much everybody so I kind of understand how, you know, he, you know, when he said, I miss some reads, I miss some plays. It'll be, 
You know, Brett kind of said before the season that that's not something he uh, he wants to do a lot in the regular season. I think for the reasons you said, they want to have an actual backup point guard come off the bench and kind of expand the rotation so they can bring everybody's minutes down. But that's something he might consider in the playoffs. It's uh, it, it's different though because he was actually it was weird because he was actually running the Sixers offense last night. This was not Jimmy Butler just bring the ball up and saying, give me a pick and roll. Josh Richardson was actually doing kind of the DHOs and jamming the ball to Embiid. And yeah, it looked, uh, it looked a little sloppy at times. Embiid was being, uh, again, he was playing against nobody who could physically match him. So he, uh, he was being fronted a lot and he was, he was a little bit frustrated with how they weren't able to enter the ball to him. Richardson eventually made a, a nice pass in the second half. Over the top in transition, he had a very nice dunk where he kind of just blew off the play and blew by Langston Galloway, I believe, and threw down a really nice lefty dunk. Yeah, he has, uh, I guess from watching him play, and I, I think he's a very good player who's going to fit in very well here, he has his ups and downs on the offensive end, I would say. He has yeah. some ugly plays for sure. But uh luckily, Ben Simmons when he does not break his foot, is an Ironman. And he's not your, – your life without him is not going to happen all that much. So I, I think he's going to be pretty safely kind of in that hybrid Jimmy Butler, J.J. Redick mode. Jimmy Redick yeah. mode, as he said. Yeah. No, I mean, he, he's he's – it'll be good to bust out those Josh Richardson point guard minutes when you have A, a matchup, and B can exploit. So your 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 goal is really to get it into him. And be a matchup where sort of that exercise on the perimeter can, you know, can really be beneficial. And maybe you don't want to run Howell out there because maybe the other team has someone who can exploit him or you don't want to run Trey Burke out there where you're more worried about a defensive matchup than you are, um, about offensively because you have something else that isn't a, a, a pick and roll that will work. Um, what do you think right, about how Embiid's played? He seems to me like he's really easing his way in. Yeah, he's he's taking preseason like preseason. But the thing is, for so long we got mad at him for jumping into the stands in meaningless <laughs> yeah. games and yeah. just trying yeah. way too hard. So I, I did kind of catch myself when I had the thought the other night, oh man, he's really not he's not playing that hard. But we want him to play well in in May and, and April. That's when Absolutely. we want him at his best. And at, le- at the beginning of last year, he was going 100 miles an hour for 48 minutes a game, some games. So I guess what I'm saying is I think when you when you step back and you see that he uh, – this does seem to be calculated on his part. Uh, I basically am saying that I have no problem with what he's doing. Yeah, I don't I, – I wouldn't say that I really have a problem with it. The wedgies I, I have a problem um, with. The wedgies are weird. So if you don't know what we're referring to, every time he shoots a free throw, he he basically picks a wedgie first. Uh, I don't know why. I haven't really figured out the appropriate way to ask him what's going on. Uh, but it's every free throw. It's a little awkward, and a lot of people have, have picked up on this. Besides that, you know, he has – it seems like he's made a pretty concerted effort to – and he's always sort of like that mid-range face-up game. But he, he, he was in that spot a lot last – or the other night. Uh, and that's something he's talked about, you know, that he was uh, prioritizing over the summer. Does uh, it seem his... to you that he's doing that more on the middle of the floor? He's certainly doing a lot on the middle floor, yeah. 
Um, and we really haven't seen too many drives out of that. Like it's been a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of mid-range jump shots. Um, it seems like everything with Embiid has been a jump shot or he's been pinning his man pretty deep. But I think that's something that could set up a, a you know, a little bit of a face-up drive game if he, uh, if he really starts making those shots. And he's always had, for as much as we say, like we expect Embiid to eventually be a better three-point shooter, he's always had really good numbers in the mid-range. Like to the point where it's not even really that bad of a shot. Which is something you really want your high usage star players to do because they're gonna, like, teams are gonna be able to, occasionally, some teams, like a Marcus Soul, take away his ability to just completely pin you under the basket and get to the free throw line 15 times. You're gonna need something else. And he's always sort of had that in his arsenal. And, you know, if that can then set up a, a, a face up drive game, then that will make him even tougher to stop. Yeah, it seems like he's focusing on kind of jab steps and kind of step backs and working on, you know, moves that might, as he's hinted, work in the playoffs more than just trying to post his man up. So I don't really have a problem with that also because it keeps the wear and tear off him as well. Yep. Although, although he does, as you said, he, he has been trying to get deep post position and that's, uh, you know, that, that'll take a toll on you. But yeah, it seems like he's working through stuff and basically he hasn't, always impressed me in this preseason, but maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. Yep. And preseason I mean, does it's not this, matter. no, it does not. And this preseason is so weird because you know, you've got Embiid who wasn't playing in the second half up until this last game. Then you have people resting and it's just, it's all discombobulated. The other team has their entire front court resting. It's just, it's so, it it's really tough to, which, which is why this, this podcast has sucked. If I'm being frank, <laughs> because you just don't know what to take away from it. You just don't know what to really say that matters because m- most of it does not. You know, I think Matisse matters and the way that he has shown because you've just, you've never seen him do it against NBA competition. I think the backup point guard stuff, which we talked a little bit about in the last podcast, I think that matters because that's a real legitimate question mark. You know, I think the way the team in general has looked defensively, I think matters just because you're seeing how those pieces fit. But once you start getting beyond those sort of initial talking points, it's tough because you just, it's, it's nothing is the same as it will be, which I guess is good because, you know, Friday night Brown has said that his rotations will look pretty close to what his rotation should be when the regular season starts. So you'll see, you know, your starters playing with your starters. You'll, you'll see your staggers sort of playing with the people that you expect them to stagger with when the games truly matter, and it will be a little easier to take an actual takeaway from that. I think we should uh, shut it down, John Taffer, after the you saying that the podcast sucked. I mean, at least we waited until the end to admit it, so people had to listen through the whole thing and hopefully got through the ad read, so we're doing our advertisers well. Um, yeah, this one sucked. That's all right. Everyone has an off day. Sure, um, we have many. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. You know, I think it, it, we brought up Norvell Pell. Fun to watch. Gave us a little bit of a jolt of energy as I was trying to sneak away. Um, the, the, we don't need to get into that. Um, but basically it's a little harder to get out of the press area now. So I was trying to get a little bit of a head start and Norvell caused me to stop and turn around and look out of the tunnel and watch what was going on, which was, which was nice. Nice. Some late game excitement. Yeah. The you new, brought uh, up at the new renovated Wells Fargo Center. Farg, yep. Yes. 
there's a by the way the uh the, like the nightclub thing near the press conference room that is pretty crazy they're just pretty crazy especially because they put a really loud nightclub right next to where we're trying to do a post game press conference that's yeah. what i mean they have soundproof doors now and uh as opposed to i think they were just glass doors last year but it's now louder because they're playing music that is substantially louder outside of it but uh yeah, if you haven't been down there, it's a it's a different scene, kind of on that lower level uh, when you come to a game this year. Kyle O'Quinn's passing, I think that's yeah. something that has stood out and and stood out again the other night. Jonah Bolden looking like he's still not ready. That has sadly stood out as well. And I do think you know Trey Burke sort of got the the minutes with the the headliners the other night. It'll be real interesting to see who Brown goes with. Against Washington here in the last uh, last preseason game, when the rotations are you know quote unquote closer to normal, I would still be just stunned if when it came we come down to stretch of this season if if Neto wasn't ahead of Burke. It's just everything Brown wants. He is just so much better at. It seems like we've been able to get a read from a lot of the positions in the way that Brett has given people different chances. I don't really have a feel on what he's thinking from how he's yeah. handled the two point guards. I feel and like to I me, have a feel... and to me it seems fairly clear. Like I think Neto is yeah. the guy. I feel like I have a a feel of what Brown wants and what Brown will prefer. I don't understand why the rotations in the preseason have sort of played out the way they have, which is the only thing sort of making me question whether or not Neto will 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 win that spot. You know, I think it's good to have Burke because I think, you know, Neto's had a lot of injury history over the course of his his brief career. You can't always count on him, so you want another option there. And then not only do you have Burke, but then you have Richardson, you have Shake, both of who can sort of play a nominal point guard role. But it's just, it's it's like, you know, Neto is short. He's what, like 6'1". They're both about 6'1". I think Neto might be like a half an inch taller than Burke. But there's a very significant defensive upgrade there and he just plays more under control he, he gets in the flow of the offense like it, it i i would be very surprised if brown ends up going with burke but he has it, it feels like he's been more frequently playing with the players of relevance yeah we will see on friday night and we will make our judgments based off that we will see is that right supposed to be healthy is there is there anybody you know obviously ennis and Ennis was out because of a a mild injury, right? What was he? What was his injury the other day? Quad, I think. Something of that sort. And then uh, Simmons had back tightness. Yeah, I only um, remember the everybody else the was, starters. Everybody else was rest, though, right? I think yeah. everybody else was rest. So you expect all of them to be back, uh, full squad on Friday, and then full squad when it really matters on Wednesday of next week, only a week away. Against the Boston Celtics, we will have a podcast here before the first game. We will have one coming out on Monday. Until then, I think it's good enough to turn off this disaster of a podcast. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. We we need you to just say how shitty podcasts are from now on. <laughs> no, because next podcast won't be the preseason anymore. We'll have something to talk about. Uh, I'm, I still might make you call it bad. All right. <laughs> See you, man.